you will know by now that I like to follow hunches or chase down fleeting ideas. And you may remember from an earlier episode that I have a notion of rhetoric in which, unlike it being simply a matter of oratorical persuasion, it is a means of grabbing hold of something that is passing by fleetingly in order to make sure that it doesn't disappear altogether and therefore rhetorical flourishes will tend to be slightly inaccurate, slightly off beam, not altogether quite right in some way or other, but they will grab something lest it disappear forever. So the particular theme or idea that I'm chasing here is related to the chat GPT phenomenon and to the way human brains work. I am not going to say that chat GPT doesn't have insights or intuitions. It certainly, as many of its critics have said, has a capacity for putting together the bits and pieces upon which it has been trained and making something that turns out not to be quite true, not to say fantastic. And in a funny kind of way, that is to the good because it would be rather boring if the only things that it were producing was producing were predictable, dull concatenations of well-known things. The danger, of course, which is where all the criticism comes from, is that once we, and if we, are foolish enough to treat it like a kind of universal oracle, then we will find that its prognostications, pronouncements, get treated as if they were gospel, as if they were true, when they turn out not to be, in which position it is, of course, exactly like a human being. Now, the reason that I'm making that link is because otherwise what I'm about to say is going to seem very strange in the context of this sequence on chat GPT and other points to do with artificial general intelligence. But the point that I want to make is to do with the mixture of the sense in which we do live in a common culture. And as I was saying about fiction and film, and to some extent art and all sorts of other representational and performing phenomena, the difficulty is always to know how original to be and how far out to be. Because if you are not at all original, nobody will notice. And if you are, shall we say, too original, people will reject what you say out of hand. And this, in relation to the zeitgeist, in relation to the spirit of an age, and let me once again say I'm not imputing any metaphysical reality here. I'm simply saying that we all, because we have common sources of information, and live in a world that is shrinking by the day, tend to an increasing extent to become obsessed with similar things at similar times, and artificial intelligence is no exception. But the, the zeitgeist has this 
peculiar paradox associated with it, which is that everybody starts thinking about the same sorts of things, but each individual thought that we have about those things may well be unique, original, and, and this is the important point, irreplaceable, which is where the rhetorical flourish comes in, that if I am silent, well, this is the paradox. Because we live in a time where everyone, or not everyone, but with a very large proportion of the thinking population is turning its mind to similar things, somebody will say something to this effect, whether or not I do. That's for sure. But they may not say just what I say, and the way I say it may, in some circumstances, prove more helpful than the way other people say it, as indeed what they say may prove more helpful than the way I say it. So the particular form in which an idea occurs to me, reference back to the uniqueness of every command of every language, that particular form may never occur to anyone else. And this is one of the reasons I have a problem with the notion uh, that somebody quoted to me the other day, which I think comes from Picasso, that if the ideas that come to you don't find fertile ground with you, then they will go off and visit someone else. And I would want to say, well, yes and no to that. And I think one's only got to look at Picasso as an example, that the ideas that came to him found expression that nobody else expressed in quite the same way and if the word is to be used his genius was to take whatever came to him and make something of it that nobody else could make and in so doing to define an age fair enough what i think i'm asking about something like chat gpt is If it is allowed sufficient flexibility, if there is a sufficiently open textured nature to the way it is designed and trained, do we make space for the kind of inventive genius that would give rise to a Picasso or a Newton or whoever? Or... Are we so concerned about the reliability of what we get and indeed what you might call the traceability, the provenance of the things that it says so that we can always find where they came from? Are we so concerned about that that we will effectively suffocate any possibility that ChatGPT and its successors might be genuinely creative? And one's tempted, indeed I am tempted, to conjecture that you can't have it both ways. If you want some body, some thing, some state of mind that is sure fire, uh, almost incapable of error, uh, chat GPT thinks it's incapable of making mistakes, but of course it makes lots. What it's not good at is noticing them, because of course that's what it can't do. 
But if you are wanting something that's incapable of making mistakes, I suggest that you're wanting something that's incapable of being creative. And I have a little aphorism that some of you will have heard me use before, that someone who never makes a mistake never makes anything. It's not quite true, of course. There is a rhetorical flourish about that as well. You can make all sorts of things, but they're all very predictable. They're all very traceable to their antecedents, to their components. They are just a matter of putting the bits together that have already been made in a rather predictable way. And the interesting thing about artificial general intelligence and indeed eventually about superintelligence is that it's going to need, as you might say, to be given the scope to step beyond what is traceable, predictable, and by definition almost boring, if it's to be given the wings it needs to fly, the the scope it needs to develop the kinds of ideas that people like Emerson and others have created, have found popping out of their non-conscious brains at moments of inspiration. Not, I would suggest, because some metaphysical genie flutters into their soul and enlightens them, and if they ignore it, goes off and inspires someone else. I don't believe that for a second. What I do believe is that all our brains are to some extent resonating with the spirit of our age. And they will, to a greater or lesser lesser extent, Picasso being our example, they will, to a greater or lesser extent, give expression to that spirit of the age in ways that may or may not be helpful to a greater or lesser extent. And the great question for ChatGPT, which here, of course, we're using as a type of a certain kind of new kid on the block, is will it be able to do that? If not, why not? And indeed, perhaps more significantly, if not, would we want it to be able to? Because the ideas that it comes up with, the suggestions that it makes, a little bit like those that Emerson speaks about elsewhere in the same essay, they may challenge us because they may be just a little bit too far beyond where we can feel comfortable. That's one of the great fascinating questions about this technology. Where do we draw the line between it being inventive, between it being inspirational, between it being brilliant and it being perceived to be dangerous, threatening and even putting the very nature of human creativity under the spotlight in a way that doesn't favour the human achievements at all. Well, more on this anon. Thanks for listening. Bye.